Welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. Some of the biggest challenges continue to be people hmm. believing that we can do it the old way, keep on doing things the same way. And we know what the height of insanity is Repeat. to continue to do things the old way and expecting a different result. That's just not the way that it's going to work. Yeah. And I think it's important to be willing to be open to change for the sake of your organization and the sake of the data that you protect. People don't want to be the person that makes a mistake, and that's the wrong attitude. Welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Darian Kinlan, VP of Technology here at Fletch. Joining me, as always, is Chris Wilder, Research Director and Senior Analyst at Tag Cyber. Welcome back, Chris. Yeah, it's been a couple minutes since we've had a show, so it's exciting to be back. Looking forward to having this, this conversation today with Leon. So. Yeah, yeah. So we're joined by Leon Dupree, Senior Security Architect at DuPoint and an Executive Professor at Eastern Michigan University. Leon is a consultant with a heart of a teacher. He has a passion for delivering security as a service to customers in the areas of information assurance, cloud computing, audit controls, application security architecture, culture, and organizational structure. Throughout his career, Leon has worked with larger consulting firms, specifically Deloitte & Touche and PricewaterhouseCoopers, holding positions such as systems engineer, project manager, systems manager, lead consultant, senior security architect, and auditor. He's also a published security author in the cloud security and healthcare space. And he's passionate about strong organizational cultures and increasing diversity in the cybersecurity field. Welcome to the show, Leon. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Pleasure to be here. Pleasure. Yeah, we're awesome. glad to have you, man. So we'll be talking with Leon about risk management, cloud security, diversity, and more. But let's run through this week's threat landscape and trending threats. And wow, it seems like it's been a while, but I don't know. It, it feels almost like deja vu. When we look at the trends themselves compared yeah. to what we saw at the beginning of the summer, it's clearly lower, but we're starting to see an uptick now that we're kind of entering the, the tail end of the summer and back into fall. I'm curious if it's similar to what you're seeing, Chris. It is. I think the types of threats that we're seeing are, are evolving. A lot of attacks and threats against critical infrastructure. I wouldn't say that we're in a lull. I think we just hit a peak and then now we're kind of back to some level of normalcy because as these threats evolve, it's this is probably where we're going to end up around this, this number pretty much throughout the rest of the year. We'll see some peaks, not a lot of valleys, but I think it'll be this will be the normal. Well, you know, it's interesting to note we're coming up towards yet another major U.S. holiday, U.S. Labor Day. Yeah. Uh, and traditionally, attackers have loved to take advantage of these types of time periods because, generally speaking, most organizations are understaffed during these times. So this is a great opportunity for attackers to go in and stay undetected for an even longer period of time. But We'll see if there's evidence of that this time around, usually within, I don't know, one to two weeks thereafter. Thankfully, this isn't a big buying holiday. So this, right. is, this is a grilling and barbecue holiday. <laughs> yes, it is. It's going to be, uh, like I said, yeah. I believe what, exactly what you're saying. The continuity is affected because people are trying to take some time off. It's difficult to find that person that wants to stay behind during the holiday time. It's tough. Exactly. So when we double click into the numbers, we see that there's kind of this polarization. A lot of the threats that we're tracking that have gone mainstream, meaning captured and talked about by at least four or more outlets, is pretty stable. 
Whereas the topics that were emerging where there's only one outlet covering it, that's also kind of growing. We haven't seen a whole lot of new threats trending, at least within the past week. But that said, we'll see if this trend continues for the next couple of weeks. Looking at the interesting threats that we've found over the past week, it seems like it's also a little bit of deja vu. At the start of the summer, we talked about a number of these before, and there's some interesting new updates to otherwise recurring issues. Specifically, as we mentioned before, Barracuda's Enterprise Security Gateway was found to contain a zero-day vulnerability that threat groups actually leveraged for at least eight months undetected in target organizations. And to be clear, the vendors had multiple opportunities to provide patches and fixes. Unfortunately, every single time, Barracuda's fallen short of actually fixing the problem to mm -hmm. the point where the FBI has stepped in and said, you know what, we've given up, just unplug the device, replace it, because wow. they don't... Yeah. They don't have any confidence that the vendor is actually going to fix the problem. Wow. So that's kind of a big deal. There, there hasn't been a that's whole a lot of times one. where a government organization's kind of described, <laughs> you know, hey, we've given up here. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts here, Chris. You put it much more eloquently than I would, but <laughs> <laughs> I think the advice of just unplug it and throw it in the trash is, is not unwarranted. I do think though that especially when you're dealing with secure gateways and we're moving to a really kind of more of a software defined world. And so I think that there's, you always need to have a backup of the backup of the backup in terms of the technology and the um, the functionality you have within your in your security organization. So this one goes down, there'll be others, they'll come out and tell us to unplug this, unplug that. But the, the other side of that is, you know, this is really good, just good secure security hygiene is so important because you know, a lot of times these will get it, you know, firewalls, especially. And Leon, you know, you know, in the world of cloud, misconfigurations are usually the thing that gets you, not a bug. Absolutely. This is an example of, I hate to call it almost a security form of technology debt in which that, you know, you have legacy software, legacy systems, and then people are trying to continue with a vendor dependency that won't go away. And it's like garbage that's got to go out. And you got to take the trash out sooner or later. And there's a big opportunity for software-defined firewalls and vendors are going to be taking advantage of this. It's a shame that Barracuda hasn't taken the opportunity to fix this to basically retain their customers because this is going right. to affect them for sure. Yeah. So they're totally. the sticky casserole at the bottom of the garbage can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what it is you yeah. know like, what's that what's that smell what what is that we got to take the trash out fair That's enough point though on the realm of protecting perimeter infrastructure yet another set of vulnerabilities have been found within juniper networks here specifically their srx firewalls and ex switches now what's interesting about this is that the overall issues that were found were categorized as medium severity bugs but an enterprising researcher figured out that if you chain together all these medium bugs, you actually are able to achieve full remote code execution on the devices such that they're completely compromised by an attacker. Thankfully, there are supposedly patches out there. There's also mitigations available, even... CISA's kind of stepped in and said, this must be fixed now. But yeah, this is a thorny topic because it's not just about one particular vulnerability. It's now we've gotten to the realm of chains of vulnerabilities that now have to be taken into account together to determine what's the overall impact. 
I'm curious, Chris, like we yeah. saw this at maybe some of the pwn to own conferences or events at past conferences when it comes to browsers, but now we're seeing the same type of trend with networking gear, right? Yeah, and the kind of the the advice that we're giving folks is we don't we don't have a lot of folks that we deal with that are Juniper shops, but very specifically with with Juniper and this chain of vulnerabilities, you know, we're we're basically just telling folks to just disable your JWeb access. It's, it's the interface on how you manage your Juniper equipment, but it's it, that's really kind of where the where the where the weakness is. And so yeah. if you disable the JWeb, it's a pain in the neck, but that's part of it. But the other side of that really brings another glaring challenge that a lot of folks don't do, especially when you're dealing with the hardware side is, and I've got, a, I feel like a broken record, Darian, but patch, 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 and then patch again. Yeah. Um, you know, over the last three weeks, I've had this conversation about implementing good patch hygiene, patch policies. This is a tough situation because a lot of times perimeter infrastructure is kind of treated as a utility and not thought about as, oh, it's actually pretty complicated and you have to maintain it and patch it. Yeah. This is not the first time nor the last time that we're going to encounter issues like this. I think, like I said, many times, even from a compliance or audit standpoint, because I, yeah. I sit in these different hats, I wear and sit in these different rooms and people are having conversations, you know, about, well, we're going to put a poem together, a plan of action, a milestone to fix this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And, and it's going to happen. And the risk, of course, is always rated based upon what the initial risk or vulnerability is. But the problem is, is that the people that are attacking or the people on the outside, they're connecting the dots right. and yeah. putting these things together. And that low or that medium yeah. is now a high because you've got people working together, unfortunately, to see that. And I just really think that there's an important opportunity in threat modeling in looking at some of vulnerabilities and, and being able to run an analysis on vulnerabilities together to see if these things together create this, that this is really a high and this is why it needs to be patched, or this might be the mitigation to do it. I think just disconnecting that remote access might be definitely, like you said, the way to go just because of the time frames and there's so many moving pieces in trying to go ahead and remediate and fix all of these components is almost a waterfall approach while right. the evil actors are very agile. So it's, it's scary. Totally. It actually brings up an interesting question for you, Leon, is from a GRC perspective, we typically patch programs and patch vulnerability management typically don't fall into the GRC, the whole compliance framework side of this, because you know, most companies, number one, don't do it, or their IT guys do it, or you mitigate 12,000 vulnerabilities, but you still have 7 million more in the background here. Are you seeing vulnerability management, patch management as something that more and more organizations are starting to put into the compliance requirements? Or do you ultimately think that's going to get into the frameworks? It is something that people want to have integrated into their governance, risk, and compliance software as a reporting point. The executives and people in internal audit and external audit want to make sure that there is a checkbox or a placemark in which that these reports are coming in. And with Python and different types of scripting and automation, you can pull the information, pull the reports from Nessus and from different vulnerability scans or Qualys or wherever you're pulling from to go into your governance risk and compliance dashboard. What we're talking about here in terms of it being a poem or plan of action milestone to be to fix your vulnerability, which is the gap in your control. What's missing 
is what you have right here in this article. The ability to threat model around these things to get the value of what the risk really is. So it looks like you're managing risk, but you have a false sense of security because you're just saying, well, you know, we're compliant, we're handling it, we're managing it, but that is the transparency that they're looking for in the future. ServiceNow, Navex, a lot of GRC platforms are now integrating these components in for visibility, but we're still not getting the level of risk to find out what the true risk is. And this article is, is showing where we really are from Juniper. Makes sense. Well, last on our list is another type of vulnerability, everyone's favorite Microsoft <laughs> Outlook <laughs> open source emulation platform, mm -hmm. Zimbra. They announced that there's a brand new vulnerability found within their platform that allows an attacker to send a malicious link to a Zimbra user. If the user clicks on that link, maybe by accident, suddenly the user's full credentials for their Zimbra account are automatically sent to the attacker. And now the attacker can get full access to the user's email, calendaring, and any other data that's tied to their Zimbra account. Pretty bad. Thankfully, there's a patch available, but this goes back to, is it really worth managing <laughs> you know, your own email infrastructure versus going back to cloud-hosted infrastructure. I think we've, yeah. we've had this conversation before, Chris, right? This is freaking Groundhog Day, Darren. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> I, I think the best patch for Zimbra is move to Office 365 or, yeah. or Google, yeah. you know, outsource this stuff. This is stuff that they make it so easy to outsource. But the other side of that, there are a lot of companies who still run Zimbra from a legacy perspective. But if you do... I would normal advice would be, you know, fire the CISO, but, um, <laughs> but the, the other side is, you know, make sure you have a good, you, you implement DLP best product out there arguably is Microsoft defender product for, for this digital guardian is another one. That's pretty good. Adobe's Adobe works just fine too. You know, just make sure you have kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier is that if you're going to have something like this, you have to have the other tools in the, in the background right. in order to, to make sure that you have some backup of the backup of the backup in terms of, you know, making sure that you're secure. But this is, this is another one that just still baffles me. <laughs> so. Yeah. Layered security architecture for yeah. sure. Motherhood and apple pie for some, but others it's like, oh, this is a hidden cost. They thought that they would go cheap and, you know, potentially yeah. save a buck. But now you're introducing a whole bunch of other problems that you didn't know about. Right. Yeah. Religion's a powerful yeah. thing. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Fair enough. So yeah. that kind of wraps up our threats for the week. At this point, let's pivot the conversation over to Leon. Hey, so yeah, we've had a number of interesting threats. I'm curious from your perspective, since you've been in this, this space for quite a while now, you know, what do you see are some of the, the biggest challenges that cybersecurity operators, CISOs, face when dealing with not just the set of issues we talked about, but other sets of issues in this in this space, trying to defend their own organization? I think some of the biggest challenges continue to be, I know I'm going to sound like a broken record, continue to be culture, people hmm. believing that we can do it the old way, that we can just keep on doing things the same way. And we know what the height of insanity is, is Repeat. to continue to do things like the old way expecting a different result. That's just not the way that it's going to work. And I think it's important to be willing to be open to, to change for the sake of your organization and the sake of the data that you protect. 
I think people don't want to be the person that makes a mistake, and that's the wrong attitude. I think there's a huge attitude in the developer space, which I really respect. They're always talking about fail, fail fast, and go ahead and the agile methodology, and they're just, but in security, we're just not given that level of freedom to say that, well, let's look at innovation. Let's look at an opportunity to lower our risk through a different way of doing things. The CISO, of course, is always, you know, on the hot seat. You could be doing great and, you know, some attaboys all week, but then that that one weekend of, uh, oh, oh, no, we're made to feel that way. And I think that that's a culture that needs to change in organizations. They need to give security professionals the same agile methodology, ability to innovate and fail that we do with other organizations. We're still going to have defense in depth. We're still going to do the things that are necessary to be careful. But I think we need to be allowed that, that freedom to be able to attempt to try things that are actually going to protect the organization. So that's what I see. People want to just stick with items that they've had and not recognizing technology debt and legacy systems need when they need to go. We go ahead and, and say that to other systems, but we won't look at ourselves and look at our systems, our security systems and say, this needs to go. You know, it's bad when the government comes and tells you to unplug the damn thing. Wow. (laughs) Wow. That is serious business. Wow. That is serious because they are not agile. They're not fast. And if you're being told by a government entity that you have to disconnect, that's just not good. Like I said, it's definitely a need for a change of culture to get people to be uncomfortable to say that this is an opportunity to be able to continue to do business in a different way executives and people have to do this all the time. We've got to change the way we're going to do business in the next five years. The way we did business 10 years ago, we can't do that anymore. Security and compliance and, and, and all these different components are the same way. We can't continue to do business the way we've done. We've got to do it in a different way. So I think that's the biggest challenge that I face. I think we're also as CISOs, we're at TAG, we we do these monthly leadership courses for our CISO clients and, and the security teams. And the most popular course that we do is the we call this seven or eight tribes of CISOs. And it kind of breaks out where each of the CISOs typically come from, the types of behaviors that they have. And when we first put this together, we estimated probably 80 to 90% of the CISOs in the industry came out of tech. They, they mm-hmm. went up through the ranks, they got the job, they've been with the company for a long time. And so they were technical people in general, very few executives. Now we're seeing, you know, then it kind of went from this law enforcement CISO mm-hmm. so came out of the FBI or came out of different areas. You got the visionary CISOs, you've got all the different types of CISOs, but now we're kind of starting to see a shift a little bit, probably 70% of the CISOs are still tech, but we're starting to see some more executive people coming into the role that know how to manage, know how to deal with upstream and down. They manage up and they can manage down. That's a nice change, I think. And I think, Leanne, you just validated a lot of a lot of our thinking in terms of kind of the how this is this is evolving and it has to evolve because it's, yeah. it's our job. And now boards are putting a lot more responsibility, legal and otherwise, on the CISO, which used to be kind of a middle management job. And now it's yeah, now it's gone through the roof in terms of I'm gonna say it, Darian, Joe Sullivan. It was a was a big uh, <laughs> <laughs> big, you know, it's kind of a big bellwether for a lot of CISOs out there in terms of what you're right. What, what are your responsibilities and what are you what are you held to account for? Well, yeah. I, I think if you're going to be given these accountabilities, 
I think one of the most important things is what do you have to do to make sure that your team has what they need in order to be successful? It's never been more of a conversation that you have to have with your team now more than ever of saying, what do you folks need to be successful? And also transparency. Do you feel comfortable with the tools that we have, with the process that we have, with the results that we're having? Do you feel comfortable? Or do you dread that call in the middle of the night? And I think that that is uh, important to talk to your people, to get them to the point to feeling more confident that they can come to you as a person and be honest and, and be, let it be a safe space to say, well, you know what? I don't think that this particular process or tool may be what we need. That's where you have the opportunity for feed, a feedback loop for improvement and for the opportunity to get better. I, I think a lot of people are scared to challenge the status quo and be truthful in the security space sometimes. You know more than anybody else being an apps guy too, is that now that CISOs are being drug into the DevOps process and <laughs> and uh, they're being, they're kind of getting kicked into the CICD, you know, the continuous improvement, the software SDLC, the software development lifecycle, whatever you want to call it they're taking responsibility for that as well as S-bombs and you name it. What are some of the trends you're seeing there? Because it's this has really become huge earthquake. In so the I just I just got through having, having a discussion with a bunch of developers, .NET developers, and the entire discussion was around how do we continue to do our job in a secure fashion when we have project managers and business owners telling us we don't have time for security, or we don't have time to include that, or we don't have time to do these things. And they're actually, this is funny, because they're actually the good guys in the story saying, right. we know right. that we have to include these security controls concerning open source, concerning the CICD pipeline, concerning the ability to make sure that we have a secure build of materials. We know that we have to do these things, but the pushback is from... Our business owners, our leaders, and sometimes our project managers or program managers who are supposed to deliver the new way that we're going to do business in the next five years. So my thought process to them was, you've got to learn to be able to speak different languages and be able to say back to the project manager, well, this is a project risk. And they would say, well, why is it a risk to the project? Oh, well, we're going to just put this as a risk in the project because as you can see, I put my Kanban together with my right. tasks. And you wanted to take my security testing out. You wanted to take my static code analysis out of the project. I'll take it out as long as you understand that this is a risk to the project, to the data, to everything that you say that we're supposed to deliver. And they said, oh, wow, I never thought about saying that. I said, yeah. I said, that allows you to sleep well at night as a security champion. I said, I'm not trying to get you to become a security professional. But as a security champion, as a person trying to do the right thing, it should allow you to sleep well at night that you notated the risk that they made you take these things out of the project. And it stands to record to bear that you tried to code securely. You tried to do the right thing. So it was an interesting conversation. Those are the things that, that are happening. People yeah. are trying to shift left and just slide everything over to the developers. We want you to do everything, do securely. We don't want to see how you make the sausages and everything, but then when it takes a little bit longer to do it, we want to beat them over the head and put the gun to their head. You got to deliver on time and under budget. It's like, no, 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 no. 
You don't right. get to have your cake and eat it. This is what it's going to take to make this happen so that there are seatbelts in the car, you know, you know, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, nobody thinks about putting seatbelts in the car. Nobody, nobody questions the uh, crash testing uh, the car. Nobody questions that anymore because right. it's something that has to be communicated up and down the chains of who's creating the products. I think with a metaphor that I've recently been hearing from guys like reversing labs and stuff is the whole metaphor of shifting. We're shifting everywhere because that's, that's marketing. People do that, but the new one is shifting up, which is kind of centrally managing it kind of like a death star looking down on the whole process on down on the SDLC and integrating your sock into the DevOps environment and those types of things. I think that's an interesting trend. I don't know how long that's going to last because people tend to get territorial, but it's an interesting one nonetheless. You bring up some really interesting points, Leon, in terms of if you're trying to do the right thing and you're a developer and you're having difficulty communicating this sort of risk, it's as you put it, it's really about just making sure that there's no surprises, right? If yeah. they decide to make the business trade-off of not prioritizing security fixes or reducing technical debt, then there should be no surprise when something bad happens down the road. <laughs> but the other, the other interesting point I think that you raised, which I wanted to circle back to, was around innovation, right? Doing things differently. And yeah. that kind of requires, many would argue, a diversity of thought, right? which yeah. kind of introduces why we need more <laughs> diverse cultures <laughs> and backgrounds to yeah. do this work because innovation comes from everywhere and you have to be open to accepting that and looking for change in unique ways in order to do things differently so that you can get the same parity with how the business is running. And that's a hard problem for a lot of leaders to understand. I'm curious, are there other factors that you consider when trying to communicate this to, to leaders that are trying to, to figure this out? Yeah, I think that some of the biggest challenges, like we said, is that the ability to communicate risk in a way that people can receive it. It's understandable that someone that might not know how to code does not want you to explain something in a technical way. Right. But the ability to say that, well, you don't want me to have inappropriate conversations with your database. You know, that that kind of raises the question, whoa, what, what do you mean inappropriate conversations? You know? <laughs> Inappropriate yeah. conversations? What do you mean? Wow. Well, you wouldn't want me to have inappropriate conversations with your database, would you? Tell me everything about all the CEOs and all the... What do you mean? I said, well, so that's what we're trying to stop. Now, we, we both know that the technical components are database parameterization and input validation and, and these components that are very important from a developer's perspective, but to be able to communicate that to the business in a way that they can receive it and understand it, that's the ability to gain the allies that you need in order to explain what you're trying to do, the vision that you're trying to go after. They, they understand it. And then the light bulb comes on. They're able to say, OK, I, I understand now what you're trying to say. I don't want anyone to have inappropriate conversations with my data, with my database. I don't want that to happen. We recently have been reading some books on, I think it was called Habeas Data. And in Habeas Data, a 2018 book, there were people that were able to use devices to monitor people's privacy. And the judges didn't understand, <laughs> you know, what was really going on. And yeah. if someone could have communicated 
well, actually, I'm going to be able to watch John wherever he is, even when he goes into the restroom. The judge would say, whoa, hey, are you, aren't you violating someone's privacy or violating this or violating that? So it's important sometimes to be able to take the technology and put it in a way that people can understand where the risk is. Sometimes that's part of the problem. I mean, consider that we're going to have 80-year-old men and women in Washington, D.C. regulating AI. That's right. All, you know, you know. That's very scary. You know, there's a, there's a gap there. I always wondered what happened to that department of technology. They got rid of it. I don't know what year they got rid of it, 97 or something. Yeah. But they really do need oversight for technology because it's important to be able to communicate to leadership what the risk is in a way that they can understand and having someone with oversight would be able to say, actually, that's what the risk is in layman's term or layperson's terminology. I'd love to see like Jake's or the GEC, you know, the two organizations, Jake's is the AI group out of the government. And then GEC is the education group. And then DARPA at least put something out that's useful that these oh, people yeah. understand that then, but they're not, they sit around and they sit in their smoky rooms and speak their language. So yeah, I, I think one of the interesting takeaways, Leanne, that you mentioned was getting familiar with and being fluent in trying to simplify risk, simplify <laughs> the impact of risk. That is a non-trivial skill that a lot of technical advocates don't have. You know, communicating to leadership that is not tech savvy, absolutely. I've also heard that being able to tell and explain that simplified risk in the form of a story can go a long way. You can kind of hammer home the impacts very clearly, but this is not a skill that they teach people in most colleges and universities. It's like- you Yeah. The, the ability to participate as a security architect, you have to shake hands, kiss babies, you have to be able to understand what the threat really is. Some people think that the only way to enhance one's ability to serve or protect is just by becoming more technical. No, no, right. you are helping by becoming more technical, but how can you protect something if you don't understand it? Right. Make sure that you understand the infrastructure, the application, the mission, the business, the organization that you're serving you must understand the why. And by understanding the why, that will drive you to understand where some of the greatest risks are. If you have an organization that stands for integrity and, you know, maybe a non-for-profit organization that stands for some things, when you protect that organization, its reputation is one of the most important things that you can protect because that reputation is the thing that allows people to give to it a charitable donations because this organization represents something, some form of value. While other organizations, they have different values. And it's important to learn the application that you're protecting. It's important to understand the vision so that when you, as an architect or an analyst or a manager, are protecting that organization, you understand what you're actually protecting and where the vulnerabilities are. Sometimes it's with the people. Sometimes it's insider threat. Sometimes it's the ability to keep staff on even. If you have a situation which that a lot of people are leaving an organization, you have to analyze why is that? Is it the culture? Is it the environment? What is it? So risks are difficult to communicate without being willing to go the extra yard or extra mile, shall we say, because sometimes you have to learn more about people than you might want to. And it's helpful to do that because you have to talk to the project manager sometimes, the developer, the analyst. You've got to be able to speak and listen to what their pain points are 
and figure out how can you help? Because yeah. everybody matters in security. We know the biggest thing that we say is if you see something, say something. Right. Yeah. So if that's if security is everybody's job, the people that are willing to listen to everyone in terms of security posture, it helps build a kaleidoscope and a lens that allows you to focus in on your problems that you're having in your organization. So makes sense. Well, gentlemen, this is a wonderful conversation. I think we'll have to leave it here for now, but thank you both for covering this wide range of issues. And I'm sure it'll be interesting to see how the landscape evolves and how our thinking has to evolve with it as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, still ready to have that inappropriate conversation. <laughs> <laughs> use that. Feel free to use that, I'm man. Taking it, I'm taking it, man. It's I'm gonna but I'll give you run with it. I appreciate that. That's awesome. <laughs> there you go. Well, thank thank you both gentlemen. And for our audience at home or at work, please, if you have any questions about this show or past shows, please DM us at the Threat Show. Love to hear from you and stay tuned for our next episode. Go Navy, beat Army. <laughs> Go Navy, beat Army. <laughs> Thank you for tuning into The Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletch's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss and the Threat Index. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats. 